it's time to uh, confess and own up. Have you guys ever done something stupid? I have, yes, and uh, chances are, if you're like me, you've probably done that once or twice in your lifetime. For your enjoyment, let me share a couple instances with you so you can laugh at my expense this morning. Uh, when I was in uh, elementary age, uh, things were always very competitive for me, and this was no exception when it came to church. And uh, my mom played the organ every Sunday morning, and so we always sat in the second row right there where uh, Greg is sitting. And uh, we never, my brother and I were never allowed to sit next to each other. But somehow we pulled it off this week. And that's where it all goes downhill, as you can imagine. And uh, we always made things competitive. And uh, one of the things we would do is we'd always race each other to find either the Bible passage or the hymn for the other person. And uh, we'd just have a running competition there. And so the song leader announced a song, and I quickly flipped to it and found it first. And I was gloating to my brother, aha, I win, you lose, nana, nana, boo, boo, and all this stuff. And he says, Andy, the song leader said, stand up. Well, not wanting to be the last one to stand up, I jumped right up. But I had been had, because the song leader never said, stand up. And uh, in the second row, everybody could see me and uh, laughed at my expense there. And thankfully, they all joined me, and they stood there sang the song, but uh, not before I was humiliated and never wanted to go to church again for at least a week. And uh, good time there. In eighth grade as well, I enjoyed playing basketball, still enjoy playing to this day. But uh, I played for Lowell Middle School, and uh, being the tallest kid on the team at the time, at five foot seven, I was stuck playing center. But uh, one of the things I had going for me was, at that time, I was a lot quicker than I am now, and uh, my defense was one of those things that I was known for, and my hustle. And so we had never won a game yet, and we're at the second-to-last game of the season. And we're down by two with under two minutes left in the game. And our coach tells us, I want you to play a man-to-man full-court press, which basically means you find your guy and you stick on him the whole way up and down the court. And so they were trying to inbound the ball at this end going toward this basket. And being that I was a better defender, they stuck me on the shooting guard who'd just been lighting us up all night. And so as soon as the ref handed the guy the ball, I was just running everywhere, chasing my guy, trying to keep him from getting the ball. Well, eventually they try and pass it into my guy, and I steal the ball. And I have a chance to make a basket. And so I go on a breakaway for that hoop. But in all my chasing, I forgot we were going that way. And so as I crossed half court, the whistle blew, and lo and behold, it was a half court violation. I turned the ball over. Thankfully, the good news is my coach let me learn from my mistakes. She kept me in and said, we're going to play through this. You're going to learn how to overcome these obstacles, and I learned to play through my mistakes. Through that, and we won the game on a half-court shot by one of my friends, so we weren't in this uh, season, okay? Now, we've all done some stupid stuff, but hopefully, we've all learned from our mistakes, right? I know that I have never been the first one to jump up for a song ever again. I'm always, like, checking over my shoulder to make sure other people are standing before I stand. I know that I've never gone toward the wrong basket again in a basketball game. I learn from my mistakes. However, there are some people who don't learn from their mistakes, and we would often call this person a fool, a person who doesn't learn from their mistakes. And this morning, we're going to look at a fool named Nabal, and we're going to see how David responds to this man's foolishness. And as we do that, we're going to see a couple more things that make David a man after. 
you have your Bibles this morning, turn with me to 1 Samuel chapter 25. 1 Samuel chapter 25. We're well into our David series. We've been looking at those things that make David a man after God's own heart. And most recently, we learned about how David uh, prayed through times of difficulty. You remember a few weeks ago, David didn't pray. He ran to the Philistines and he saw the consequences from that. And then David learned from his mistakes uh, and prayed. And so this week, in 1 Samuel 25, we're going to see a couple more things that make David a man after God's own heart. We'll pick the story up in verse 2. And there was a man in Maon whose business was in Carmel. The man was very rich. He had 3,000 sheep and 1,000 goats. He was shearing his sheep in Carmel. Now the name of the man was Nabal, and the name of his wife, Abigail. The woman was discerning and beautiful, but the man was harsh and badly behaved. He was a Calebite. David heard in the wilderness that Nabal was shearing his sheep. So David sent ten young men. And David said to the young men, Go up to Carmel, and go to Nabal, and greet him in my name. And thus you shall greet him. Peace be to you, and peace be to your house, and peace be to all that you have. I hear that you have shears. Now your shepherds have been with us, and we did them no harm, and they missed nothing all the time they were in Carmel. Ask your young men, and they will tell you. Therefore, let my young men find favor in your eyes. For we come on a feast day. Please give whatever you have at hand to your servants and to your son David. When David's young man came, they said all this to Nabal in the name of David, and then they waited. And Nabal uh, answered David's servants, Who is David? Who is the son of Jesse? There are many servants these days who are breaking away from their masters. Shall I take my bread and my water and my meat that I have killed for my shears and give it to men who come from I do not know where? So David's young men turned away and came back and told him all this. And David said to his men, Every man strap on his sword, and every man of them strapped on his sword. David also strapped on his sword, and about 400 men went up with David, while 200 remained with the baggage. So here's what's going on. Let's catch up to speed here. David has been running from King Saul for quite some time now. David, as we know, has been uh, anointed uh, next king by Samuel, and uh, Saul has found this out. Chasing and trying to kill David because he realizes that David is going to take the throne, not one of his sons, after him. And so David runs away, and while he's out hiding, some men have come to David and they form a small army. And during their time hiding from Saul, they've taken it upon themselves to uh, protect some of the locals from enemy raiders. And they protect their property and their livestock from falling into enemy hands. And most recently, David has been doing this in the wilderness. Now, the Bible tells us that Nabal is very rich. In those days, they measured wealth in the terms of livestock. You see that he's got 3,000 sheep and 1,000 goats, right? So he's a pretty wealthy guy. And it's time for him to shear his sheep. And this is a very happy, celebratory time because the wool is going to bring them great profit. And so they're preparing to celebrate the harvest. Now, the Bible also reports for us that Nabal happens to be harsh and badly behaved. And in fact, his name, How many of you would like your parents to name you that? I think Kim and I have left that one off our uh, potential list of names here for our baby boy. But it's interesting to note that uh, the same root word here is used in Psalm 14.1, which says, The fool says in his heart, there is no God. And we're going to see Nabal act like that as we uh, continue on through the story. But ironically, Nabal has a wife who is both beautiful and discerning. 
so David's out in the wilderness, and he and his men are in need of some food. And David heard that Nabal was out shearing his sheep and that there would be a great feast. And David is in need. He needs some food to supply, not just for himself, but for his men. And he knows that this would be a great time to go and ask Nabal to help out and meet his needs for some food. And so he sends some men to Nabal to bless him, to remind him of his service to him, and then to ask for the food that is needed. And again, David's coming on a feast day, so there is going to be plenty of food. It's like a Baptist potluck. Always plenty of leftovers, all right? So what is Nabal's response here? He asks, who is David? Now, did Nabal not really know who David was? I don't think that's the case, all right? Uh, Nabal, if anything, would have heard how David had protected his flocks. But also by this time, the word of David defeating Goliath had spread throughout the land. All right, the fact that King Saul was looking for David to kill him had spread throughout the land. All right, his anointing as the next king had probably spread throughout the land. And so Nabal here has a pretty good idea who David is. He's just pleading ignorant to get out of his responsibility to do what's right. And so he sends the messengers of David back empty-handed. And they report all this to David, and David is obviously angry. And so he says, hey, 400 men, get your swords on. Let's go. We're going to take this guy out. Now, did David have a right to get angry? I think so. I mean, he was wrongly treated. All right? He was returned uh, evil for the kindness that he had paid to the ball. But I think maybe David here is overreacting. I mean, 400 men to take out uh, one guy and kill him over a little food? Sounds a wee bit extreme, don't you think? Well, before we get too hard on David, we probably should stop and evaluate our own lives for a minute because have you ever gotten angry about something? What usually happens when we get angry? We think about it, and the more we think about it, the angrier we get, right? I remember a time in college where I was working for campus security, and I'd worked the night shift, so I was working uh, between the hours of 10 p.m. and and 8 a.m. And uh, that summer, they had done a big project around our dorm, and the maintenance staff had just planted grass after they'd finished the project. And school was starting up, and so college kids were coming back, and, you know, college kids, if there's a quicker way to get there, they're going to find it. And so to college kids, all the sidewalks were pointless, and so they would often take shortcuts and walk through the grass. And sure enough, somebody hopped over the roped-off area and walked through the new grass. Uh, I woke up unusually early that uh, afternoon from working all night, and uh, I step out of my room to uh, go use the restroom, and all of a sudden, here comes a maintenance man just barging in the dorm, and I'm obviously the first guy that he saw, and he gets right up in my face, and he's like, if you ever walk through my grass again, I'm going to bust you in your chops. Now, I'm half awake, still trying to figure out what is going on, and uh, thankfully, one of my security buddies was also there the next room, and he heard what was going on, and he came out to defuse the situation, and uh, I was rather upset. And so me and my security buddy were talking about it for the next half hour, an hour, we're like, man, this guy treated us so wrong, and we're going to get him and all this stuff, and so I write this big, long, nasty complaint, I send it to my boss, and I tell him I expect him to send it on to the president of the college, and this needs to get addressed, and demand an apology, and all this stuff, and I was ranting, raving, and uh, my boss calls me in the next day, and he says, hey, I've been in a situation like this before. This probably isn't the right way to deal with it. He talked me through it and uh, helped me write a complaint uh, the right and proper way, and the issue was resolved peaceably. But up until the time that I met with my boss, man, I was getting angrier and angrier. I couldn't stop thinking about it. I was losing sleep. 
the other maintenance guys were around. I was touching and just barge through the grass. You know, that'll show it. You know, things like that. I mean, I was upset. And I was ready to do anything to get the justice that I felt that I deserved. And that's kind of the point where David is at right now. He is angry and he's ready to kill to get the justice that he deserves. So let's keep reading in our story and uh, see what happens next. We're in verse uh, 14 here, for Samuel 25. But one of the young men told Abigail, Nabal's wife, Behold, David sent messengers out of the wilderness to greet our master, and he railed at them. Yet the men were very good to us, and we suffered no harm, and we did not miss anything when we were in the fields as long as we went with them. They were a wall to us both by night and by day, all the while we were with them keeping the sheep. Now, therefore, know this and consider what you should do, for harm is determined against our master and against all his house, and he is such a worthless man that one cannot speak to him. Then Abigail made haste and took two hundred loaves and two skins of wine and five sheep already prepared and five sails of parched grain and a hundred clusters of raisins and two hundred cakes of figs and laid them on donkeys. And she said to her young men, Go on before me, and behold, I come after you. But she did not tell her husband, Nabal. So a servant comes to Nabal's wife, Abigail, says, Look, you need to know what's going on. Your husband has acted wrongly. And in fact, he says that he is such a worthless man that one cannot speak or reason with him. He was unwilling to listen to the counsel of others. His foolishness was not something that was just, you know, obvious to himself. It was obvious to everybody around him. But this man didn't have a clue about what was really going on. Unfortunately for Nabal, as we mentioned earlier, he married up. And although this is a very bad situation, Abigail hears and immediately gets the food together and uh, sends it uh, to David ahead of her. And she does this all without her husband knowing. Why? Because even her husband won't listen to her. He's that foolish, he's that hard, he's that set in his ways. And while Abigail does this, the text says that David is so angry that he has made a vow that he is not going to leave one male alive in the house of Nabal. He is going to get his revenge. But along comes Abigail. Let's see what she says in verses 23 through 31. When Abigail saw David, she hurried and got down from the donkey and fell before David on her face and bowed to the ground. She fell at his feet and said, On me alone, my lord, be the guilt. Please let your servant speak in your ears and let the words and hear the words of your servant. Let not my lord regard this worthless fellow Nabal, for as his name is, so is he. Nabal is his name, and folly is with him. But I, your servant, did not see the young men of my lord whom you sent. Now then, my lord, as the Lord lives, and as your soul lives, because the Lord has restrained you from blood guilt and from saving with your own hand, now then let your enemies and those who seek to do evil to my Lord be as Nabal. And now let this present that your servant has brought to my Lord be given to the young men who follow my Lord. Please forgive the trespasses of your servant, for the Lord will certainly make my Lord a sure house, because my Lord is fighting the battles of the Lord, and evil shall not be found in you as long as you live. She goes on to continually uh, affirm his kingship in the place that God has given to him. But Abigail starts out by assuming the guilt, an interesting act. She places Nabal's sin on herself. Kind of reminds me of something Jesus did for us, that he was willing to take the punishment for our place. But Abigail here, she respectfully disassociates with her husband. She says, look, you know, Nabal is, he is a fool. It's true. You know, she's not saying that to put him down. She's not saying that to, to be mean. 
She simply stated the fact, and she needs to disassociate herself from that. Because if not, it could easily kill her as well. But not only so that she disassociate with him, but she intercedes for him, saying that to kill him would be to shed innocent blood without cause. And then again, she affirms the kingdom of David. Now, David's got a choice. I've heard her words. Do I listen to her, or do I continue to carry on with the plan that he had set in motion? And thankfully, verses 32 through 35 tell us that he does listen to Abigail, that he recognizes her character and her wisdom, and he does refrain from that violence. And the end of the story goes that Abigail goes home, and she finds Nabal throwing the big feast. He's still partying, still celebrating. He's very drunk. And so she waits until the next day to tell him what happened, and she tell him, tells him about her encounter with David and says that his heart died within him. Right? Tom Peterson said he cut a hat a stroke. And ten days later, David dies, and, or David dies, Nabal dies, and takes, uh, David takes Abigail to be his wife, along with uh, another girl who he happens to marry up in Wisconsin as well. So while this is an interesting event, an interesting story from the life of David, what is it from the story that makes David a man after God's own heart? Now let me share with you two practices of David that make him a man after God's own heart. And I think they'll make you a man or woman after God's own heart if you put them into practice as well. The first practice here is that David listened to wise counsel. David listened to wise counsel. You know, Nabal uh, was a person who didn't listen to anybody. Verse 17 says again that he is such a worthless man that no one can speak to him. He's not going to listen to anybody. That's one of the things that made him a tool. Yet David chose to listen to the voice of wisdom. You know, Abigail begged him to listen to her words. David didn't have to. He had a choice, but he chose to listen to her words. Now, why is it important to listen to advice? Think about it from your own life. Has there ever been a time when you've taken on a project or tried to do something and it just failed? I mean, you just bombed it terribly. Probably we've all had that experience. You wish later maybe that you'd never taken on that project or tried it in the first place. But then think of a project that you undertook that went really well. Why did it go well? Perhaps because you got some good tips and advice on how to do the project and how to make it work well. And likewise, there have been times when, again, we didn't listen to the advice that was given, all right, and we had things blow up in our faces, maybe literally. Proverbs chapter 12, verse 15 says, The way of fools seems right to them. Sounds like a pretty good idea in their eyes. But the wise listen to advice. You know, Nabal failed to see the danger of his words, and it ended up costing him his life. It was going to cost him his life anyway, but uh, God took vengeance for David. But David, because of Abigail's unwanted advice, it was unwanted, he wasn't seeking it, all right, heard the voice of wisdom, saw the danger of his actions, and he acted accordingly. You know, the, the danger of David's actions would have been that he would have had bruised or a troubled heart and shattered innocent blood. And yet he refrained from that. But how about you? Have you ever had someone offer you maybe some unwanted advice like Abigail offered David? We all have from time to time. You know, parents are great at that, aren't they, teenagers, right? Good for them. It's their business, all right? They should do that. I remember in 11th grade, my parents came to me. I wasn't seeking their advice, but they wanted to share their opinion about the girl I was dating at the time. They had gotten to know her and knew that I wanted to go into ministry, and they flat out told me, she's not going to be a good pastor's wife. But I was in 11th grade, so I knew better. 
decided not to listen to my parents' advice. And, of course, it didn't take me long to figure out that my parents were right. And so when it came along the next time, and uh, they got to know Kim, and they told me, that, boy, if she's a teacher, I was like, man, i got to snatch her up. All right? And it turns out they were right in more ways than I could have imagined. Okay? David was a man after God's own heart because he listened to advice. He listened to counsel. And if you and I want to be a man or woman after God's own heart, we too need to listen to wise counsel. But there's a second practice I think that David uh, did, and that is that you have to seek after wisdom. See, not only did David just listen to wisdom, but he was seeking it. Now, we don't see it in this passage. He didn't come to Abigail. He didn't ask his men what they thought. Okay, so we have to go back and look at David's life as it led up to this point. And we know that David was a shepherd boy in the fields, and that he often used that time to spend time with God and to write psalms and to sing praises to God. He was seeking after wisdom. And in fact, I think David passed some of this wisdom and this quest for wisdom onto his son Solomon. You remember God came to Solomon and said, I'll give you anything that you want. And what did Solomon ask for? He asked for wisdom. He learned that, I believe, from his father David. And he records these words for us in Proverbs chapter 2. So turn over to Proverbs chapter 2. And we're going to find out how we, too, can get wisdom. Proverbs chapter 2. I want you to pick out the first four verses, all the things that we have to do to get wisdom. Proverbs chapter 2, starting in verse 1. It says, My son, if you receive my words and treasure up my commandments within you, making your ear attentive to wisdom and inclining your heart to understanding, yes, if you call out for insight and raise your voice for understanding, if you seek it like silver and search for it as for hidden treasures, then you will understand the fear of the Lord find the knowledge of God. For the Lord gives wisdom, from his mouth come knowledge and understanding. He stores up wisdom for the upright. He's a shield to those who walk in integrity, guarding the paths of justice and watching over the way of the saints. Then you will understand righteousness and justice and equity, every good path. For wisdom will come into your heart and knowledge will be pleasant to your soul. Discretion will watch over you and understanding will guard you. Did you catch all those things you have to do to get wisdom? Eight things he lists for us. You have to accept my words, store up my commands. You have to turn your ear and apply your heart. You have to call out. You have to cry aloud. You have to look for it. You have to search for it. These are the things you have to do to gain wisdom. These are the things that David did to gain wisdom. And as promised, he got understanding. He found knowledge. Verse 9, he found every good path. He got wisdom. He got knowledge. He was protected by his discretion. Verse 11, he was guarded by understanding. These are the benefits of seeking after wisdom. And like David, these things are promised to us who, like David, will seek after wisdom as well. So do you know what this means? Do you understand the benefits of wisdom in your life? It means that you'll know how to choose the right friends. It means that you'll be able to make wise decisions in regard to your work or your finances or your family when you're by yourself or with other people and even when you're angry. You'll be able to enjoy a good reputation. You'll be able to avoid trouble that will cause disappointment to yourself and to others. You won't feel guilty all the time. That'll be nice. You'll know how to balance work and family time. You'll know how to have a great relationship with other people. These are some of the things that wisdom does for us. Now, it doesn't do any good to get wisdom after you messed up, right? It's usually good if God restrains you beforehand from doing something dumb. All right? 
It's kind of like my basketball story. Once the whistle blew, I knew I was going the wrong way, but it was too late to change course. And it would have been nice to know that beforehand. Now, basketball isn't that serious. There's not much danger in losing a game, okay? But sometimes when you're without wisdom, there can be devastating consequences, can't there? Wouldn't it be nice to know that before you bought a house with all the extra room that you couldn't afford it and you can't rent it? Wouldn't it be nice to know before you disobeyed your parents all the hurt that it would cause them and cause you? Wouldn't it be nice to know before you unleashed angry words at your spouse that it's going to cause damage to your relationship with them? Wouldn't it be nice to know that before you committed to a position in the church that you didn't have the time for it? Or wouldn't it be nice to know that while your kids were still young, that maybe it's not good to subject, subject them to ungodly TV shows and movies and to let them just have their way on the Internet? With all of these things, there are very, very real consequences. Proverbs 22.3 says, The prudent sees the evil and hides himself, but the naive go on and are punished for it. Isn't that the difference between David and Nabal? Verse 36, again back in 1 Samuel chapter 25 says, Then Abigail came to Nabal, and behold, he was holding a feast in his house, like the feast of a king. Here he was, feasting like a king. He had no idea that his life was in grave danger. The word behold here means to look or pay attention to. And if we were translated into modern terms, I think we could say something like this. Are you kidding me? You're not going to believe this. You know, put that in context of the verse. Then Abigail came to Nabal, and are you kidding me? He was holding a feast in his house. This guy doesn't have a clue because he didn't seek after wisdom. He was the very definition of a fool, living as if there was no God. And if you want to be protected by discretion and guarded by understanding, then you have to seek wisdom, and you have to seek it right now. So how do we do that? What do you need to do to get wisdom right now? Number one, you need to ask God. And not just once, but continually. Isn't that what David did for Samuel chapter 23? He asked God not once, but twice for wisdom. And God answered his prayer and gave him the wisdom that he requested. James chapter 1 verse 5 tells us that if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given to him. You ask God for wisdom, who is all wise, all knowing, and he's going to give it to you. It's a promise. You need to ask God for wisdom. But there's a second thing you need to do. You need to spend time with God daily. Spend time with God daily. Psalms 19.7 says, The law of the Lord is perfect, refreshing the soul. The statutes of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. See, wisdom is a natural byproduct of reading and studying God's word. Therefore, it ought to be our first priority day in and day out. David knew this. David recognized this. And he would say in Psalm chapter 5, verse 2 and 3, Heed the sound of my cry for help, my King and my God, for to you I pray. In the morning, O Lord, you will hear my voice. In the morning, I will order my prayer to you and be relieved watch. See, David understood that it was a priority day in and day out, first thing, to spend that time with God. You know, I'm a firm believer in doing devotions why is that? Because as I do my devotions in the morning, I have the chance to uh, think about it all day. I can practice the spiritual disciplines and meditation and memorization. I can put into practice the things that I'm learning that day. I can share it with others. And I find that when I usually do it at night, it's usually rushed, it's usually hurried, and usually I forget what I just read. 
say, how about please put it in the breakfast because I forgot it. So for me, I find it's easier to read my Bible and study in the morning. For David, he finds that a priority as well. Joshua says, you shall meditate on it, the book of the law, day and night. You can't meditate day and night if you haven't read it at some point earlier. Okay? And so Joshua and David, the psalmist, give us this clear picture of the priority of the Word of God, spending that time with Him on a regular basis early in the day. You know, I've talked to a lot of people in my ministry career who have done a lot of stupid things. You know, just this week I had another instance of someone I married a few months ago, and already adultery is in the mix. Why did that happen by their own omission? Because they stopped doing their devotions. They stopped spending that time with God, and it went downhill from there. You and I need to spend time with God daily and make it a priority to do it the Lord. Lastly here, I think it's important to surround yourself with wise friends. Surround yourself with wise friends. You know, David had Jonathan. When Nabal dies, David marries Abigail. He recognized her wisdom, and he was drawn to that. He was attracted to that. He made it a practice to surround himself with wise friends. Proverbs chapter 13, verse 20 says, Whoever walks with the wise becomes wise, but the companion of fools will suffer harm. So surround yourself with wise friends. Why? Because friends influence you. How many of you have done something stupid because you let somebody else talk you into it? Right? Bing, 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 we have a winner right up here, all right? We all have. The more we surround ourselves with wise friends, though, the better our chances are of not doing something stupid. That wisdom can keep us safe. Proverbs 11:14, where there is no guidance, a people falls, but in an abundance of counselors, there is safety. You need to surround yourself with wise friends. You need to surround yourself with those people who are going to tell you what you need to hear, not just what you want to hear. Because that's what makes up a wise friend. So let me give you some take-home thoughts here today. And unfortunately, I left the first one, and probably the most important one, off your name sheets. And that is that true wisdom is found only in Jesus Christ. See, the Apostle Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 1, 23 and 24, But we preach Christ crucified a stumbling block to the Jews and folly to the Gentiles, but to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and wisdom of God. See, I know it seems foolish and backwards when we evaluate Christianity in light of our culture, but really the way of the cross of Christ is true wisdom. And some of you need to find wisdom today by finding forgiveness from your sins. Some of you need to find wisdom today by starting a relationship with Jesus Christ. Because God created us to have a relationship with Him, and our sin separates us from God. And like it or not, sins cannot be removed by good deeds. There's nothing we can do to get right with God. And so paying the price for our sins, Jesus died and rose again, so that everyone who trusts in Jesus alone will have eternal life. And that life with Jesus, the good news is it starts now, True wisdom is found only in Jesus Christ. Well, secondly here, by way of application, whose counsel do I need to listen to this week? Ask yourself that. You know, husbands, maybe you're struggling to be the leader that God has called you to be at home. And you need some wisdom on how to step it up. You know, wives, maybe you're finding it difficult to be encouraging to your husband. You know, every time you turn around, he's leaving his underwear on the floor. All right? You need wisdom in how to be encouraging. To him. Maybe you need wisdom in dealing with your kids. You know, maybe you 
feel like we're going crazy. We just don't know what to do anymore. Maybe you need wisdom with your finances, with your credit card debt, or just how to be a good steward with some of the extra resources that God has given to you. Maybe you need wisdom dealing with situations at work. You know, the boss who seems to be uh, disorganized and unreasonable, or the co-workers who seem to sabotage everything you're doing, or the clients who just don't want to deal with you. Don't be a fool like Nehemiah, who refused to listen to wisdom. Be like David and choose to listen to the voice of wisdom. And then the other thing you need to ask yourself is, what do I need to do to seek after wisdom? What do I need to do to seek after wisdom? You know, maybe you need to start by asking God. Maybe you're kind of relying on your own wisdom. How well does that work? It may go well for a while. There comes a day when you don't know what to do, and you're stuck, and you make a terrible mistake. Seek wisdom now so that when danger comes, that you can avoid it, that you can be a man or woman after God's own heart. Maybe you need to make it a priority this week to spend time with God. You've been slipping a little bit. You know it's important. We as Baptists love to, to claim the authority of Scripture, and it's our soul practice, soul authority, through faith and practice. But how often do we fail to live that out? And so maybe we need to seek after God by spending more time with Him this week. Or maybe we just need to surround ourselves with wise friends. And maybe that means we need to disassociate with some not-so-wise friends and put some distance between us and them. You know, a great place to find friends is church. Wow. That's deep, right? right? Sunday school, small groups as you study God's Word together and pray together and do life together great opportunities to build those kind of friendships where they can speak wisdom into your life. So take the time this week to be a man and woman after God's own heart and to get wisdom. Let's pray together. God, we do praise you because you are an all-wise God. But you know everything. There's nothing that surprises you. And, and God, you have chosen to pass this wisdom down to us through the truth of your word and through your people. God, may we be people like David who listen to your wisdom and who take the time to seek after it each 